Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be discussing Chapter 21, Do No Harm, The Future of the Planet. Because as we've been progressing in our group learning program, we've studied so many different aspects of the human mind and discussed this path to enlightenment, this mental state where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And we've gone through many different aspects of the teachings that lead the mind towards this mental state or this higher consciousness that we call enlightenment or nibbana. We've been using this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana, as our resource for studying and practicing these teachings. And in this book, chapter 21, we cover the planet. And there's an important reason why we do. First of all, before we go into talking about why we're covering the planet, let me just share this. In some communities and in some venues, discussing the planet is kind of looked at as sometimes a political issue. I'm not discussing the future of our planet as a political issue because for any of you that know me really well, I don't discuss politics. There's absolutely no benefit for me in discussing politics. Now, if you choose to do that, then that's your choice, and you may find some benefit and use in doing so. But for me and the role that I fulfill, discussing politics, I have no interest in whatsoever. So this issue of the planet, to me, is not a political issue. It's one of a human consciousness. It's one of humanity. This is the planet. This is our home. This is the earth. And in evolving the consciousness and moving the consciousness to a better understanding of the world around us and understanding a better way of life, for me, involves understanding our impact to the planet and how this natural law of gamma that we've been talking about is also at play when it comes to the planet. Because this teaching of do no harm or practicing harmlessness is essentially a foundational teaching of Gautama Buddhas, is ensuring that we understand that we should practice harmlessness because the natural law of gamma of cause and effect or action and result, essentially every decision that we make has a certain impact whether that's a wholesome decision or an unwholesome decision. So if we are going to awaken the mind on this path to enlightenment through the Eightfold Path, where we 
start off in even the second step of right intention of practicing harmlessness, knowing that if we harm, harm will return to us. And we've talked about this in respect to relationships. And we've talked about how if we cause harm through our speech or our actions or our livelihood and other ways that that harm will be returned to us. And likewise, if we make very good wholesome decisions, that wholesome things will be returned to us. Well, this natural law of gamma is a natural law that governs all things. It's not just personal relationships and professional relationships. It's all things. Remember, this natural law of gamma, gamma is just kind of a unique way of saying the result of our decisions, right? The result of our decisions. So if we speak kind, we speak polite, we speak respectful, we speak without ego, without arrogance, we become humble, we become generous, we become loving and compassionate beings, then we're going to notice that we have much better relationships in the world around us. This is because of the natural law of gamma. And conversely, if we speak with lies, if we speak with deceit, with gossip, if we speak at the wrong time, if we speak harshly, if we speak with hate or anger or hostility, if our actions are harmful, we're going to find it very difficult to exist in the world because those things are all going to be affecting us in the way that we treat other people. Well, here in this chapter, what I'm helping to bring the mind to as a wise practitioner on this path to enlightenment, choosing to do no harm, because by practicing harmlessness, we know that harm will not be returned to us because we're practicing harmlessness. Not only does this natural law of gamma apply to our daily relationships, both personal and professional, but it applies to such things like our planet and the future of our planet. Essentially, every single person, every single being who's walking the face of this earth right now, we have all harmed this planet in one way or another. I know growing up, I was taught to throw trash out the window of a car as we were driving down the road. But as we grew up and as the world kind of evolved, we were all taught that that's not the way that we should care for the earth. And slowly over time, we all kind of stopped doing that. And now we see that the roads and the side of the road in most countries are not as dirty or trash ridden as they used to be when I was growing up as a child. So all of us have contributed to the harm of this earth in one way or another. When I used to change the oil in my car as a teenager growing up, I didn't know any better. After I dumped out the oil out of my car, I would take it into the woods and I would dump it on the ground because I didn't know any better. And there wasn't any facilities that I knew of or aware of where to dump the oil. We just didn't know about those things. Those things didn't exist as I was growing up. Everybody just knew you just dumped the oil in the sewer, you dumped it in the, in the woods, and that was just how we took care of it. But as we've evolved as a species, going from this animal instinct of consciousness to this more human consciousness, we've learned that doing things like dumping trash out of a car or dumping oil in the woods or in the sewer is harmful. 
And as we've learned that and we have evolved as a species, we've slowly, gradually started making better and better choices to not harm the planet because we know that if we harm the planet, that harm is going to be returned to us. And what's important that I tried to bring to everyone's mind in this chapter is to help you understand that the personal choices that you make on a day-to-day basis, on an hour-by-hour basis, on a minute-by-minute basis, the personal choices that you make, not just in personal and professional relationships, but also choices that you make in terms of things that you purchase and things that you use and the way that you conduct your life has an impact on you and those people around you. So by making wise personal choices of the things that you consume and how you conduct your life, you can choose to do no harm. And not just in relationship to personal and professional relationships, but also how you view this planet as well. Because there's no way that we can run or hide from the damage that we've caused, right? The damage that we've caused this earth, and it's not just us, it's been going on for many, 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 many generations as our species has evolved, we're becoming more and more aware of the damage that we've caused to this planet. It's irrefutable, right? There's no way that we can refute that we've damaged this planet. I was sharing with Max before the talk that as a child growing up, there were times when me and my buddies, we would kind of skip school, even as early as third grade. We would kind of like not go to school and we would use our lunch money at 7-Eleven to buy a little bit of food or a little bit of that. Well, we didn't have enough money to buy everything that we needed for that day. We usually just had enough money for a little bit of food. So we could actually go to a creek in our neighborhood and actually drink the water out of the creek because the creek, the water was so clean, we could literally drink it out of our hands in a metropolitan area. But I guarantee you that same creek today, there's absolutely no way that anyone could ever drink from it. So we've absolutely damaged this planet and, and that's okay. We've done it. It's in the past. We're aware of it. There's no need for anyone to feel guilty or shameful or anything like that. What these teachings are about is putting the past in the past and learning from those experiences. And now, as a more wise, more conscious person who's actively working to make better and better choices in your life, having less and less of an impact on others, improving your life practice, to do no harm, we can make choices in our life that is going to improve the condition of this world. Sometimes we get caught up in our day-to-day life and we struggle to see how our personal choices can actually help the world and thinking that somehow our personal choices can help the world when I can share with you they absolutely can. Max and I were talking about a couple of different things before everyone joined us where I was talking about here in Thailand in December, they started a a nationwide campaign where at all the 7-Elevens, we had the choice of whether to use a plastic bag or not. And 
those of us who chose not to use a plastic bag, the money that 7-Eleven would normally use to purchase that plastic bag was then donated to a really well-known hospital in Bangkok. It's the Queen's Hospital, right, to help this hospital for women. Well, as December and January and February went on, on the register at 7-Eleven, it was showing a tally of how many bags the whole country has saved and how much money has been contributed to this hospital based on all of our own individual choices. And I don't know the final numbers, but I stopped looking at the register when it was over like 300 million bags in one month that the entire country had saved. 300 million bags, right? I stopped looking at that point and this campaign kind of went on. And then eventually by February or March, they just completely eliminated bags from 7-Eleven 100%. And now there's no plastic bags at 7-Eleven at all. Whatever you buy, you just need to carry it yourself. And most of pretty much all the major retailers have done the same thing and they followed suit. The country gradually moved over to no plastic bags, right? But this was all based on individual personal decisions. And sure, the big company of 7-Eleven kind of brought this in and the government, I'm sure, was kind of backing it and helping it. There was kind of a national plan to move away from plastics. But we can actually make these personal choices on our own. We don't have to wait for a government or a corporation to kind of institute big plans like this, we can actually make these choices on a personal basis. And I'm sure many of you, wherever you live, you're probably making the personal choices not to use plastic bags. And if you can imagine over the course of a year or the course of your lifetime, how many bags that really truly saves. Because while we have this big plastic problem throughout the world and these plastic bottles that we use, while they are recyclable, they don't necessarily get recycled. You know, the amount of plastic that actually gets recycled is very little around the world. So if we just choose not to use these things, then they don't ever actually get brought into the supply chain. Right. So by our individual personal choices of wise human beings to not use certain products like plastics, then that never actually gets brought in. And we're kind of stopping the problem right there. Other things like food. One of the things that I discussed in this chapter is how 40 percent of all food in the world goes to waste. And there's been research that shows that if we just didn't waste so much food, this would be impactful to the entire world. And we can make those personal choices on our own. We can choose to purchase only food that we can eat without it spoiling. So that might mean that we need to go to the grocery store every two, three, four days, but that's a behavioral change that we can make as a wise choice to do no harm to the planet rather than kind of gorging with craving, buying all this food and then throwing it out when we're at home. Or if we go out to a restaurant, you know, even though we're super hungry, you know, we can just order one or dish or, or another and then kind of slowly add more dishes as we need to in order to support 
eating and nourishing our body. We don't have to kind of gorge and take on so much food. Or if we do by mistake, we can then take that food with us and make sure that it finds a good home and that we either eat it later or somebody else eats it. We can make these wise choices. And there's many, many wise choices that you guys are aware of. Because with this one particular issue of food, food represents a lot of resources. There's the production of the food, there's the transportation, the packaging, the selling, the preparing. There's so much water and gasoline and fuel and human resources and natural resources that go into producing food. And with 40% of it being wasted around the world, this causes an enormous waste of resources that is putting a burden on the earth. And not only is it putting a burden on the earth, but we have 9.1 million people that die of hunger every year. Every year, 9.1 million people die of hunger. Now, whatever the numbers end up being with COVID-19, I have a feeling that this data point of 9.1 million people starving every year and dying from it is much higher than what we're going to experience with COVID. I, I have a feeling, who knows? We don't know where COVID's going to go. But if we want to solve this natural resources that we're burdening the earth with, and we want to solve this problem of hunger in the world, just choosing to eat all of our food and making sure that 90% of what we purchase gets consumed, or 95 or 98% of what we actually purchase gets consumed, just that one decision alone will have an enormous impact to the entire world. And you don't have to see the impact. You don't have to look for it. We don't have to get the entire world on board for doing this. You can actually make this choice yourself. And you may already have made this choice for yourself and you may already be pretty conscious about your food intake and what you purchase. And you may already be conscious about the amount of plastic or fossil fuels that you use and things like this. And for those type of people, this chapter is just kind of agreeing with what you're already doing. But if you're not doing some of these things and you can kind of retrain some of your human behavior to be less impactful and do no harm to the planet, this is going to only benefit you and all the people after you. And keep in mind that we can't run from this gamma of harming the earth because if we don't attain enlightenment in this life, you're coming back, right? You may come back as one of the beings in the lower realms, but even if you do, you're going to eventually make your way back up to the human world, right? You are going to, we are going to, if we don't attain enlightenment in this life, we are going to experience this world again and maybe multiple times. So whatever harm we do to the planet now in this life, we can't run from that. We can't run from that harm because there's this cycle of rebirth that's just going to keep continuing and continuing and continuing. And then if we do attain enlightenment in this life, any being who's attained enlightenment has deep amounts of loving kindness 
for all beings, which means active goodwill towards all beings. An enlightened being is also going to have a deep amount of compassion for all beings, meaning concern for others' misfortune. And we could go right on down the line about generosity and other qualities of mind that an enlightened being is going to have. So even if we become enlightened and we no longer come back, anybody who is enlightened is going to have cultivated these mental states of loving kindness and compassion and generosity. And we know that we're leaving this planet and there's going to be lots of beings after us that need to inhibit this planet in order to become enlightened. And they're going to be relying on the natural resources here in order to sustain their life. So as an enlightened being leaving this planet, you would want to ensure that you're causing the least amount of harm as possible and hopefully you know, doing no harm as much as possible so that the resources that are here are available for the people after us. And remember, if you don't attain enlightenment, you're going to just keep coming back anyway and experiencing this world all over again. So let's make sure as wise, conscious human beings that we're always practicing harmlessness. Do no harm to other beings, animals and humans, even the other beings in the other realms, right? Doing no harm to any being. But also, if we can view Mother Earth almost like another being, even though she's not, right? Mother Earth is the earth, the soil. There's no consciousness there. There's no mind in terms of in the soil. But this Mother Earth, this world that we inhabit, is supporting us like a mother, right? Like a mother gives us milk to sustain our life. This world, this earth, gives us water, gives us sunshine, gives us fruit and vegetables and resources to build structures with, resources to have clothing. The Mother Earth is providing us resources just like a mother gives its baby milk. And if a mother is giving a baby milk, does the baby turn around and smack the mother? Right? Or does the mother pollute her body with some substances so that the milk then goes into the child and pollutes the child? No, we should take care of this earth. We should take care of this planet because the planet is taking care of us. And the more that we practice harmlessness, the better and better this earth will revitalize itself, right? We're seeing this with COVID. We're seeing that the earth has resilience and it can rebound in a really relatively short period of time. We're seeing in Italy, the canals are kind of streaming with wildlife, right? We're seeing wildlife coming back into the canals of the flooded city in Italy. We're seeing pollution and smog that existed in certain cities within a matter of weeks or a few months. All of that has disappeared because we've changed our human behavior. Of course, humans aren't going to be able to stay in and stay sequestered and quarantined the way that we are through COVID. But this is the truth and the proof that we can see that by us changing our human behavior within a matter of a few months, 
the earth can rebound and repair itself very, very quickly. So as more and more and more of us humans make wiser and wiser and wiser choices in how we interact and how we sustain ourselves on this planet, the earth will revitalize itself and it will be more and more pure, not only during our lifetime, but in generations to come. And what this chapter is doing is just bringing your awareness and bringing your consciousness to this message of do no harm that the Buddha had as part of harmlessness and I shared as part of the universal teachings in chapter one of universal love for all beings, do no harm and be a good moral person. This doing no harm also relates to our planet as well. So I would like to kind of invite you guys to have a discussion on this and talk about ways that perhaps you are choosing, making personal choices in your life to not cause harm. And by making those personal choices, you're seeing results, whether it's certain things for your own personal life or your household or your community or decisions that your family's making. You're welcome to share those type of things in our discussion today in the comments in Facebook or YouTube or in the virtual classroom or in the virtual classroom if you'd like to raise your hand and talk about some of the decisions that you feel we can be making as human beings in order to improve the future of the planet. And of course, any questions that you might have on things that I've shared or things that you're considering as part of your life, you're welcome to bring those questions up as well. So let's just open up to any questions that exist out there for all of you guys that are taking part in this online session. Perhaps I can start things off then, David. So I have done basically no travel in the last year, partly helped by COVID, but no international travel since I actually came back from Asia uh, just under a year ago. And I did quite a lot back then, had a real craving for travel. And as I traveled, obviously every place was different. Every place was amazing in its own way, but it was like always scratching the same itch, you know? And I think clearly there's many places that all of us haven't been, but I realize there's no reason to think that I'll find something essentially different, say in South America uh, to in another country. Um, there's no actual need to go there. And so when I do, or if and when I do travel again, I'll make sure it's for some real wholesome purpose and not just because, oh, I fancy going to this place or that place, but you know, maybe to go and practice you know, closer to, to, to people who are practicing, for example. Uh, so that's one thing I've done. Yeah, so what Max is cluing into there is something I kind of alluded to in previous talks about how our craving, anger, and ignorance that the Buddha discovered is part of the major problems with the human mind is by kind of eliminating this craving, we can actually have less of an impact on the world. Because in previous times, Max is sharing that maybe he would have traveled more or more readily or quite a bit because there was certain craving that he had to see so much of the world. Now he's kind of thinking that through and saying, well, do I really need to go on this trip? You know, what's the real purpose of this trip? Because 
a decision to take a trip, for example, it's going to have a certain impact by all of us roaming around the earth so much, it creates a lot of waste. So just by the entire world working to eliminate certain cravings, we can actually have less of an impact on the world. And you can see how craving can actually harm, not only harm our own mind, not harm the people around us, but it can harm the earth as well. And something that I often think about when I think about, you know, plastic, I think about, you know, why did we ever create plastic to begin with, right? Why did we ever create plastic to begin with? My son was actually watching a video today that was talking about why we created plastic. It just so happened that he was watching it. Apparently, we created plastic because at one time we used to make billiard balls out of the ivory of elephants. And people wanted to get away from making ivory billiard balls. So they discovered plastic as a way to make these billiard balls. So the initial reason why we made plastic was actually a good wholesome reason that we were trying to move away from harming animals. And we thought that, okay, let's make this plastic and that's going to help us to not harm animals. But what happened is once we realized what this plastic was, we started using it in consumer goods like this that then became kind of throwaways, right? Like once used plastic forks and knives and bowls and dishes and bottles, it became a very disposable product, right? That was one of the ways we started using plastics. But another way that we started using plastics is like preserving food, right? We had these containers that we used in order to cover food and keep food as leftovers, right? And my mind thinks about the unenlightened mind, right? The unenlightened mind craves permanence, right? We always want permanence in the unenlightened state. So plastic in a lot of ways to me represents the unenlightened mind craving something that's going to last a really long time because this once used plastic and single use plastic is kind of a new thing that's only been around for maybe 10 years, 15 years or so. But where plastics really kind of got their start in the world is providing storage boxes and providing products, household products that would kind of be around forever. Because before that, we used glass and glass would fall and it would break and it would shatter, right? And people had to keep rebuying this glass. But in somewhere in the 80s and 90s, we started using these plastics and we realized, wow, we could drop a plate on the floor and it's not gonna break, it's permanent. Wow, we have this storage container and we can drop it on the floor and it's permanent, it doesn't break. We like that, we like that, right? The unenlightened mind likes that. So to me, plastic started to evolve out of one of the major problems that the Buddha discovered, which is the unenlightened mind does not like impermanence. The unenlightened mind does not like to buy glass plates or pottery or storage containers that fall on the ground and break. And then, you know, they're clay essentially made out of earthy materials. And now it's impermanent. We don't like that. Grandma's bowl just broke and now everyone's in tears. Well, if there's this plastic, 
it never hardly breaks at all. And to me, this is where plastic really took off because we realize that it's essentially permanent. It's not permanent because we know it breaks down after about 500 years. It's not permanent, but to the human mind, we kind of looked at it as permanent and a lot of people, you know, maybe still do. So by eliminating this craving that Max is talking about, by recognizing that we need to practice harmlessness and recognizing that this product that we've created out of maybe the craving for permanence, realizing that that's not helpful for our society, we can really start to kind of get away from these plastics. And this is essentially what the world is slowly starting to do. So thank you for sharing that, Max. And I imagine we've got some other people that are interested in talking, but I just wanted to kind of talk about this craving for permanence and how I feel that that was really the motivating factor that really made plastic take off in the way that it did. Thank you. Yes. Let's go to Bill next. Hi. Um, yeah, some of you might know that I used to be a, a teacher back in the States and um, every Friday morning we would have a, an all school and there's an American uh, musician, his name is Jack Johnson, and he wrote a song um, about the three R's, Reduce, Reuse, Recycle. And when you've spent many years going to the school sing, and that's like one of the songs that we sang with the kids, we taught it to them. And I would sing it with my special needs students, you know, we would talk about different ways that we can uh, reduce, reuse, recycle, those were the three R's. So when I got over here to Thailand, um, of course, you know, seeing some of the waste products, um, you know, and the heavy use of plastic, because um, I moved here a little about almost two and a half years ago. Um, it became apparent that I was going to need to, well, it, it was a choice. I thought, what can I do? You know, I can't make everybody do this, that. I can only be responsible for my own decisions. So what I do, um, there are a couple of times a week, I go to a street market and I bring my own plastic containers so they don't have to put the food in a separate container that I would then empty out, put on a plate, heat up, and then I toss it away. I just, these are things that I can reuse over and over and over. Um, That's and great, drinking, Yeah, so, and then for drinking water, I order, uh, I, they, we have a water service here, and so there are uh, glass bottles of water, and um, so uh, if I'm going to go out and be outside for a while, I can put one of those in a, in a water bottle uh, or container that I also use when I go to the gym. So there are, I've discovered many ways that I can um, mm -hmm. reduce, reuse, and recycle. Um, I, I do have some plastic bags, and when I go uh, to buy produce, uh, fresh fruit, I bring my pl plastic bags. Um, I usually hand it to the woman and then I pick what I want, like the fresh fruit. Um, now, I, I can't be responsible for the packaging they've already done. Sure. But it, it's one less bag that they're going to put 
the prepackaged sliced fruits and all of that. Because part of it is I want to support the people that, you know, that live close by and I've gotten to know the ladies and, um, and I can just set my own example and I can, you know, do as little harm as possible. And speaking about restaurants, you know, I make a lot of choices about what restaurants that I go to. And as you know, every restaurant's set up differently, right, because of impermanence. And there's some restaurants here in Thailand that, you know, have reusable cups and they serve water out of a big kind of communal water dispensing system. If they use straws, you know, you can ask them not to have a straw. They're okay with that. And you can make choices in your life about how you use things. One of the things that Bill's aware of is here in Thailand in the malls, for example, all the food courts, they serve food on reusable plates and we use silverware in all the malls and the food courts here. So I know like when I was in America, all the food courts use like paper and plastic utensils and cutlery and, and plate. But here in Thailand, they use actually real plates, real bowls, real cups, real silverware, and that all gets washed and cleaned up because it's, it's reusable. They seem to be in some areas of Thailand, they, they yes, they use a lot of plastics, but they also, in a lot of ways, don't use a lot of plastics and uh, they have a lot of reusables. I've even seen hotels here in Thailand that are set up as a reusable environment, kind of a more eco-friendly environment where when you check in at the front desk, they give you a tin water bottle. Instead of giving you plastic bottles every day in your room, they give you a tin water bottle that you fill up in the lobby whenever you want water. So these kind of choices, right, about what hotels we stay at, what restaurants we go to, once we're in a restaurant, do we ask to not use a straw? When we're in a store, do we ask that we don't need a bag? I'm fine just carrying these three items. That's okay. And just doing that politely. There's all these individual personal choices that we can be making on a daily basis. So great examples, Bill. Thanks for sharing those. And on that note as well, locally grown produce. And I know that in countries like Thailand, that's almost a given, but not always. A lot of what is eaten in Thailand tends to come from relatively nearby. But in Western countries, when we're flying kiwi fruits in from where else, from New Zealand, it's literally halfway around the planet. And that just seems crazy. But you know, economically, it might it might stack up. But when you count for the damage that's being done, you've got to think, well, how much do I need to eat kiwi fruit, right? Can yeah. I just choose to eat something else um, that doesn't have that built-in of you know unwholesomeness to it, I suppose um, we have a comment from uh, Amina she says my daughter would like to share that she is now eating less meat than when she was younger she feels better about herself and helping the planet excellent this is another great example there's so much research that shows that you know one plot of land can grow say 100 kilograms of meat for example in a year but that same plot of land can grow maybe 30,000 kilograms of vegetables or plants. And it's so much more sustainable in terms of the amount of water and everything else that's needed. You know, there's been plenty of research that shows by the entire world gradually moving over to plant-based food supply and 
by not wasting food, these two decisions by themselves would have such an enormous impact to the health and sustainability of our earth. Now, for some people, one of the last things we want to think about is giving up meat. And if you choose to do that or when you choose to do that is completely up to you. But I think what you'll find if you do like Amina's daughter does and some other people have done around the world is you will see that by not eating meat, your body will be so much healthier because this meat contains in it drugs and toxins and hormones of the antibiotics and other drugs that are given to the animals during its growing process. So you're ingesting that in the meat. And what you'll also find is that your body won't have as much sickness and illness because this meat has a real effect on the disease in the body. I noticed only a year and a half, two years ago when I switched over, I very rarely ever have any problems with my stomach whatsoever. Where when I was eating seafood and red meat and pork and chicken, I used to always have problems with bacteria and, and food poisoning in my stomach. So those things went away very quickly. I noticed that my skin in, uh, started to become more healthy. I noticed that my fingernails became more bright and um, more healthy. I noticed my hair uh, became, at that time I wasn't shaving my hair, my hair became more healthy. I noticed that, that my body feels more healthy, my mind feels more healthy not eating animal products. And you don't have to believe me because as I've taught in this program before, don't ever believe anything I say. But if you choose to switch over gradually moving to a plant-based food supply, you'll notice the impact to your physical health and your mental health as well because you won't be ingesting these harmful drugs and toxins and hormones and you won't be digesting the bacteria that's found in meat. And you're gonna need to change human behavior, of course. You're gonna need to find other dishes that you like. You may have to find other restaurants that serve plant-based food. I know it took me about two months to really kind of find enough restaurants and enough foods that I kind of enjoyed. But once I did, I actually enjoy these foods much better than I ever did the meat products. And it took you know, several months and, and even six months or a year before I could walk past a, a grilled hamburger and not have a craving to kind of want to eat that um, because the mind still remembered those flavors and those smells. But if you choose to gradually move to a plant-based food supply, you're going to notice enormous benefits for your life. So don't believe me about this but try it for yourself for a period of time and see what you think. And again, it's gonna take conscious choices to move in that direction. Yes, Alan on YouTube followed up and says, veganism is very impactful as it reduces animal suffering, farm pollution, and methane production. Yes, one of the things that I find really interesting in the Buddhist teachings now that we're 2,500 years past the time when he lived and delivered his teachings is he shared with us in his eightfold path in terms of the five precepts about not killing other beings right he shared that with us that that would cause harm if we killed other beings 
And of course, we see the harm in terms of we'll go to jail and these kind of things. But he also shared in his path about right livelihood that he said, if you sell living beings and you sell meat, and of course he gave the others too, selling poisons and toxicants and weapons. But he said, if you sell meat and you sell living beings, there's going to be harm that comes of it. He never explained what harm in terms of the teachings that we have. He may have explained it during his lifetime, but we just don't have those teachings. But we have the teachings that said, if you sell living beings and you sell meat, it's going to cause harm in the world. What's really interesting for us, 2,500 years later, we can see that this fully, perfectly enlightened Buddha who was awakening people's minds to these teachings and what causes harm in the world, he was 100% accurate because we've now had 2,500 years of killing living beings, of having meat in our food supply, and we see the harm that it's caused not only to the planet, but to our physical body as well. People having disease from foods and various meats. So it's really, really interesting for us at this stage in history to be able to look back to his teachings 2,500 years ago and see the exact problems that he was discussing. We can see the effect. We can see that by us having markets that are selling living beings and killing living beings, that there's a disease called COVID-19 that jumped from animals into the humans. And now there's this massive pandemic that's affecting humans all over the world and killing us and has drastically changed our way of life. That's all because of killing living beings, having business and living beings and having business and meat. We can see that in real time right now. And if we just learn and practice his teachings the way that he taught and gradually move towards that, even though we've done these things in the past, pretty much all of us have had meat and eaten meat at some point. Every one of us has probably dropped a piece of plastic on the floor at some point. Every one of us has probably dumped something in a body of water that was pollutant to that body of water at some point in our life. Well, now that we're awakening to those harms that we've caused, let's not do that anymore. And let's clean up our practice, our life practice. And then as we see other people that are interested in learning about that, we can share with them so that they clean up their practice as well. So Alan makes another comment. So he says, COVID taught me that it is okay to leave the car in the driveway for a few days and only fill the tank with gas once per month. Beforehand, I was conditioned to want to go out and about daily. That's another good point, right? So Alan has learned that, yeah, it's okay to stay at home. There's nothing wrong with staying at home. I remember those same feelings at some point in my life too, where we were kind of taught and conditioned that we have to go outside every day. And that's just something that we have to do is go outside every day. And yeah, COVID has kind of taught us that we can be comfortable at home for a few days or a few weeks or even a few months for some of us. Right? So I can see James, your hand is up. So I will ask to unmute. Yeah, I think I just wanted to echo that um, last statement and also what Max was saying earlier um, about the 
lack of travel. Um, I think COVID has been a great opportunity to break our attachments that um, consumer society has um, has essentially like built into us, whether that be the idea that we have to travel or that we have to consistently consume. And I think just in combination with learning the teachings and being in a situation where it's much harder to consume and to travel, it's just been really eye-opening that we don't have to do any of this. You know, we don't have to travel to um, to be satisfied. We don't have to um, consume. And um, I think it's helped facilitate that process for me. And, um, you know, um, I think that's one thing that we can take away from, from lockdown. And there's just so many lessons we can learn about just how, you know, we're rather than being apart from nature, we, we're a part of it. You know, we see the teachings that the Buddha said about um, the perils that can come from these encounters with nature, which have created COVID-19. And I think it's just, um, I just kind of want to echo that. Um, this is a great time to, um, to really um, break these attachments that we have and that type of thing and um, see how that we were harming nature. Yeah, very good points, James. Very good. Yeah, because, you know, we get kind of attached to going outside every day, right? We kind of crave it. We kind of want it. We kind of feel that it's required. And and it's not just the going outside, right? It's the seeing our friends. It's the going to the coffee shop and visiting the people that hang out the coffee shop or whatever we do in our daily life. We get kind of attached to these relationships as well. And what a lot of us are realizing in COVID is that, hey, we can still exist in this world without having all this daily consumption. I think you added something really important to the conversation there, James, is realizing that all of our consuming is affecting the world. And we don't necessarily have to consume so much that we can consume less. And this is one of the reasons why the Buddha only ate once a day is not to put a burden on people and resources to feed him because he used to get his food from other people. One of the things that I've done is is I actually, just without making a conscious choice, have started eating one or two meals a day myself. And I've noticed that I can fully sustain myself on one or two meals a day or kind of like one and a half meals a day. And by doing that, and also by not going out as much, like Alan and James, you're saying as well, by not using transportation, by not doing those things and not consuming as much, it means I don't have to spend as much money too, which means if I'm not spending as much money, I don't have to work as much, right? So it's like this benefit, right? This is the gamma. This is the natural law of gamma. By making wholesome choices not to consume as much means I don't have to work as much and I can have a more relaxed lifestyle. Whereas if we're in the mode of craving, 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 or consuming, 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 we have to sustain that with an income. And that means we have to really work hard. And the more that we work, the more we probably consume and crave. So by working on diminishing this craving to consume and go outside and do all of these things all the time, we actually have a really good, wholesome effect that this gamma that comes back to us is that we can have a more peaceful, more calm, more comfortable life. In the last three months, I've spent so much more time around my son and my wife, my neighbors, spending more time with my neighbors. It's been beautiful to build relationships this way 
and sustain and maintain relationships in a real wholesome way without feeling a need to, to go anywhere and just be here. And everything that we need is, is just right here. So that's a great word that you've added to the conversation is really getting a handle on our consumption and what we're consuming in the world. Yeah, I think that um, especially in America, people have been conditioned to derive their value from what they consume and what they own and um, what experiences they have outside of themselves, whether that be traveling or going to dinner and this kind of thing. And I think it's been tough for like a lot of people in America because um, that's been um, removed from them. But I think that especially, like I say, with, with these teachings, you can see that like, um, you know, those were just detachments, you know, and that they're just like serving to burn up the world and nature because um, they're just short-sighted, you know. Um, have you ever heard the joke someone says, like, why do you have a car? Because like, I have to go to work. Why do you have to work? Because I have to pay for my car. <laughs> it's just this this cycle of just constantly around and around. This is the cycle of rebirth, right? The more we crave, the more we just keep going around in this cycle of rebirth, just keep being reborn and reborn and reborn and reborn because we just keep craving and craving and wanting and wanting. Whereas if we put a, a squash on that, we just exist and we just use whatever we need, not what we want, but whatever we need, and we just sustain our life peacefully that way, then we realize that we don't actually have to work as much as we probably are, are working to sustain that craving because all that craving and consumerism requires a lot of income to maintain. And by getting a handle on that, you can actually you know, have a pretty peaceful life and not feeling the burning desire to consume all of this stuff, which means you're gonna have to work a tremendous amount. And it just tends to take people out of the present moment. It's just a carrot on a stick, you know. Um, it keeps them on this hedonistic treadmill to um, to seek out these, um, whether it's a new car or whether it's a vacation. And um, while they're doing that, they forget the beauty of like everything that's around them, whether that be their family or nature. And um, yeah, I hope that these times can really um, remind people of that. Yeah, I agree. Good points. Interesting point James made there about how this situation has kind of forcibly put the brakes on people's attachments. Mm -hmm. I think often the way with clinging, craving attachment is that either we awaken to the harm we're doing sooner, we see that clearly and use that as a way to make a better decision, or the consequences just build and build and build until it's forced upon us. Yeah. We actually can't do it anymore. And that's when we're kind of forced to make a change. And this can happen, obviously, as we're seeing now, but also as individuals in our own attachments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just every single decision that we make is either going to be a wholesome decision or an unwholesome decision. And we are going to experience the results of those decisions, right? This is the natural law of gamma, and it relates to the planet the same way that it relates to our relationships, everything. And this is one of the ways that you can actually see gamma. If there's some harm that is being done in the world, that's the result, right? That harm is the result. If there's some harm, there was some decision that caused that harm, right? So as soon as COVID hit, 
and I saw this virus, right away, I said, okay, what did we do to cause this, right? Because if you're practicing right view, when you understand we are responsible for all of our decisions, whenever you see harm in the world, right away you can look and you can track it back to what was the cause. And it's going to be something in the Buddhist teachings. So when COVID hit and I saw that harm, I was like, huh, that was a harm. We caused it somehow. What was it? Oh, we were selling meat. We were killing animals. Ah, that's where it came from, right? Same thing when we look at polluted streams or water or other problems that we're having with our planet. This is harm that we're seeing in the planet. Well, what caused it? Well, it was our decisions to pollute this planet. The reason why the planet's polluted is because we caused it. This is gamma. This is the natural law of gamma. And that's why one of the Buddha's things that he said was essentially, he didn't say it exactly this way, I'll say it this way, is we can't run or hide from our gamma. There's just no possible way. So whatever decisions we make, either wholesome or unwholesome, we're going to experience that gamma. We can't get away from it. And if you understand the cycle of rebirth, then you understand we can't even get away from the harm that we cause to this planet. The only way to fix the murders, the rapes, the poverty, the famine, the diseases, the racism, the discrimination, the drug abuse, you know, suicides, all the way down the list of everything that we're experiencing on this planet, the only way to fix any of this is to eliminate craving, anger, and ignorance for the entire world. Because we can implement a law that says, all right, nobody kill each other. It's against the law to murder. But if people still have craving to hurt each other, they still have craving and anger and ignorance in the mind, they're still going to do it, right? We can tell people, okay, it's against the law to rape other people and forcibly take sex. And we can implement that law. But as long as the craving is still there for the sexual contact and they don't look at it as harming somebody, then people are still going to do it. So for activism and social change and picketing and protesting, while these things may need to happen in a society kind of to help awaken large numbers of people, if all we're doing is kind of making a law, but we're not addressing the underlying problem, which is the craving, anger, and ignorance, then we're not solving the problem, right? So we can make laws and we can change laws and we can institute, it's against the law to be racist. It's against the law to judge somebody based on their ethnicity, their sexual orientation. You have to give a job to somebody if they qualify, not based on their race and all of these other things. We can make those laws, but if the people's minds are still affected by craving, anger, and ignorance, or unknowing of true reality, then those things are still going to happen. So that's why we've changed our laws in society to show the evolution of the human consciousness evolving, but humanity is still not there because we don't have massive amounts of people focused on eliminating craving, anger, and ignorance. 
So if we really want to get at the root cause, this is why I decided to start teaching the Buddhist teachings because that's the only thing that's going to fix the murders, the rapes, the poverty, the famine, the disease, the illness, the racism, the discrimination, right on down the list, it's the only thing, drug problems, suicides, it's the only thing that's going to fix it, is that for more and more of the world to learn these teachings and practice them wider and wider scale. Now, I, I know, David, that maybe many people listening that could hear this and say, this is all good, eliminate our own consumption, great, but the scale of climate change and what we're facing here is just is just too big. We've got to go out there. We've got to do more. We've got to go and you know, protest. We've got to convince all our friends to go and do this. And you know, we've really got to take it on ourselves to change the world. What sort of advice would you offer for someone who, who's saying that or thinking that? I think that bringing awareness to the world about these kind of issues is very important, right? without bringing awareness to people that these things are a problem, then people don't know to change human behavior, right? But how we do that and how we go about that is really important. If we do it in aggressive ways where we're going and we're closing down highways and we're picketing and we're rioting and we're looting and we're destroying buildings and we're beating people up and we're setting things on fire and we're hurting people and we're hurting property and we're this harm is only going to come back and harm us so there's ways to be active in these movements to convince people that it's a good idea to not use plastic it's a good idea to not eat meat. It's a good idea to be more wise about our choices in the world. It's wise to treat all people equally and don't discriminate based on all different kinds of criteria. We can bring this into people's consciousness and awareness without the looting, rioting, killing, destroying property and people's lives and people's livelihoods. Because when we start destroying property, we're destroying people's livelihoods and their life and things that they've worked for their entire life. That's harm that's being caused. When we start shutting down roadways, you know, there's people that are trying to get to hospitals that are pregnant, that are, their life is in danger. They're on the way to life-saving equipment that would save their life. So while someone might be protesting certain things and shutting down functions of cities, it's causing harm. There's ways to bring people's awareness to these good conscious choices without causing harm in the world. There's ways to do that. It just requires more thinking. It requires more patience. It requires more wise decision-making, not a quick reaction. Quick reactions are never going to produce good results. What we need to do is people who are concerned about various issues, they need to assemble in groups. They need to sit down and think about what are some wise choices of how we can bring this to people's awareness. Because trying to do this in forcible ways and trying to force people, right? When someone tries to force you to do something, the first thing you're going to do is resist, right? You're going to dig your heels in and you're going to resist. And now there's someone forcing one group to try to do things another way. When 
people start trying to force you to do something, right away their message is kind of suspicious. We kind of suspect. What's going on here? Something's not right. They're trying to force us. We kind of are suspicious of their message, right? So what a wise person is going to do is they're going to very gradually and consistently come together and figure out ways to bring these issues to people's awareness and gradually move society and humanity towards a certain goal. And I gave you an example of that here in Thailand, how they came up with an idea. Nobody knew that they were going to eliminate plastic bags out of 7-Elevens within three months. Nobody knew that, except for the people who probably put together this campaign. What they did is they said, okay, you know, let's do this nationwide campaign. Let's give you the choice of not using a plastic bag. And by you making that personal choice, we're going to donate money to this really great hospital. And in the news and in the registers in 7-Eleven, they reported regularly how much money and how many bags we were all saving. And over the course of two or three months, we all felt really good about that. And more and more people were making those wise personal choices on their own. And then about two weeks or a month before, they said, you know what? We're just gonna go ahead and get rid of plastic bags altogether. And at that point, millions and millions and millions of people had already made the personal choice on their own to eliminate plastics from their life. So when the government made that decision, everyone was like, all right, that's fine. Because they've already made the choice themselves. Right. So Thailand being wise about the Buddhist teachings and that the mind needs to gradually move Thailand being wise about attachment. And if you're attached to something and you immediately lose it, everyone's minds are going to be discontent. They gradually implemented this campaign to gradually allow people to make the good, wholesome personal choice on their own, on their own free will. And then by the time they said, all right, we're just going to eliminate it all together. Everyone's like, all right, that's fine. Whereas if the government would have come out and said, starting January 1st, we're eliminating all plastic bags. We're done with it. Forget it. Now everybody hates the government, right? Because the government's the bad guy. The government's the one who took away the attachment. The government's the one who took away the pacifier from the baby. And now the baby's upset with the, with the government for taking away the pacifier. So what they did was much wiser than that. And you can use examples like this of how do you move a population towards something wholesome, but allow them to make good, wholesome, free will choices on their own. It's not always going to involve give up plastic bags and we'll give money to a really well-known hospital. The corporation who runs the 7-Elevens in Thailand had the ability to do that, so they did it. But on a more local level, if you're working in your community and you're just trying to get people to maybe rake their leaves and put their leaves in a certain place so that the community can kind of collect those leaves and then do some composting with those leaves, you have to come together with the four, five, six, 10, 20 community leaders in your community and think about what are some really good examples or ways that we can move these 20,000 people in our community towards composting leaves. And it can't be, we're going to implement this rule. And if you don't follow this rule, we're going to fine you. 
right? That's not the way to, to improve free will behavior to get people to implement this new idea because now we're accentuating the negative. We've made this law, we've made this policy, we've made this rule in our community, and if you don't do it, you're getting a penalty. That can't be the way that it works, right? Just give you an example. Go around to some local businesses that are trying to grow their business, get a couple five, 10, $20 gift certificates, gift cards, make an announcement, you know, we would like to try to compost our leaves and our community. Anybody who puts out leaves on Tuesday on their front curb, you're going to get a, a $10 gift card to your favorite coffee house or whatever, right? You have to give rewards and you have to accentuate the positive. But all too often in our society, we like to make rules. And then when someone doesn't follow it, then we get penalized. And this is where people balk at that. People don't like that. So whether you're working on a community level, a city level, a state level, a whole entire country, you gotta look at ways to positively incentivize people to make good, wholesome, personal choices. Because at the end of the day, that's what it really comes down to, is making good, wholesome, personal choices. And we need to incentivize people and show them the good results and the good benefits that are going to result from it, right? And maybe it's okay as a community, if we're able to put our leaves out every Tuesday for four weeks, we're gonna throw this big block party, right? And everybody comes and gets to enjoy this big block party, right? And now all the vendors are out there selling whatever they're selling, you know, there's rides for kids and everybody's helping to build the community because now all these vendors are making a little bit of money. We're all coming together. We're getting to know each other. We're building relationships. That means it's going to help each other's locally because we're building better bonds in our community. We're coming together as, as a village or as a community. And we celebrate this milestone that we've all met, right? So. We have to find ways to positively incentivize people for good behavior rather than penalizing them for not doing what we are asking them to do. Yes, I feel like it's good practice to really connect in ourselves with how it feels to make more wholesome choices. Because yes. when there is attachment, there's a tendency maybe to only see uh, the negatives of giving something up and the pleasant feelings maybe of doing something, but actually not seeing how nice it feels to give something up sometimes. Mm -hmm. And also maybe even the consequences of carrying on. So this is the, really how we can cut it off is, you know, understanding actually it, it's nice to eat locally grown food. It feels good. I feel better. I feel healthier as an example. And if I don't do that, then actually I feel like maybe I'm not doing my part. You know, there's maybe a, a certain, inherent guilt or, or something. And this is our karma, right? Yeah, and relating to the Buddhist teachings, right? Because of this concept of a self that we all carry around in the unenlightened state, right? In the unenlightened state, we carry around this concept of a self and we become very selfish. And even though we live in this particular community around all these other people, we tend to be very self-centered in the unenlightened state 
and we tend to only focus on what matters to us and nobody else really matters. We're just kind of in it for our own independence, right? But what the Buddhist teachings start to help you understand is while you're on an independent journey and you need to improve your independent life practice, the Buddhist teachings help you to see how you're interconnected with all these other beings and how your personal decisions impact the wider community. Right. And this is why Thailand's numbers with COVID are so low. I think there's somewhere around 3000 cases and only like 50, 60 some deaths. And we haven't had an actual case of new COVID inside the country for over like 35, 40, 50 days now. So Thailand has eradicated COVID from Thailand. We haven't had a case for like 40, 50, 60 days so far, something like that. The only reason why that's the case is because a large majority of the population understands gamma. We understand that if you cause harm, harm is going to come to you. So even before the government started giving suggestions to people of what they needed to do to eradicate COVID, people were already starting to make personal decisions on their own. I would see taxi drivers that are motorbike taxis. They were cleaning their helmets with antibacterial sanitizing gel from one customer to the next, right? My barber shop stopped using the straight razor to shave people because it was going around people's mouth and they knew that that was going to cause harm because COVID is transmitted through those type of things. So on a personal level, Thai people started already making all these various choices without the government's involvement in their daily life because they knew it was good to not spread COVID in their communities. And then when the government came out with their suggestions, it just kind of amplified what people were already starting to do on their own on individual choices anyway. So that's why Thailand got really ahead of the curve because people understand karma. They understand if we cause harm, harm's gonna come back to us. So let's not cause harm in our community. People wearing masks, no problem. We'll all wear masks, no big deal. And people, in Thailand work really well together. They understand we're in this together. We're here as a community. There's not this real strong sense of a self, right? Because if there's a strong sense of a self, we become very selfish. It doesn't mean we don't look out for ourselves. We've got to take care of our own body, our own mind. We got to make sure we have food and shelter and all these kind of things. But we also look at the wider community and say, well, how can we help others when others are in need? Right. This is what a being who's practicing loving kindness and compassion is doing. We're looking out for how we can help others. We're not judging others. If we see someone needs help, then we help them. Right. We come together and we help each other so that when the government started their talks, they were publicizing it over the news. They were showing large groups of people coming together in rooms night after night after night after night discussing what they should do in terms of ideas for improving COVID. And each night over the course of a couple of weeks, there would be little bits of news that would come out of various decisions that these committees have made in terms of how we should all modify our behaviors 
to ensure that COVID doesn't spread throughout our community. And as these little individual decisions were slowly coming out of the government, the news became a distribution mechanism that was sharing what all of these elders, so to speak, have now decided in terms of what we should do to keep our community safe. Rather than the news arguing and debating and that I don't like that idea, that idea is not good and we shouldn't do that and we shouldn't do this and kind of breaking each other down, the news and all the various channels were essentially disseminating and distributing the information out to the people to help us understand how we needed to modify our behavior. And because we are all practicing do no harm, sure, social distancing, I can see how that would be helpful. Sure, wear a mask, I can see how that would be helpful. Going into businesses, everybody gets their temperature taken, everybody has to wear a mask, everybody has to use hand sanitizer, we all have to log that we're going into a business and coming out of a business. Some of the bigger businesses have electronic ways for us to do that. It hasn't really been an impact. And when we go into a business, someone takes our temperature. There's people there to make sure everyone's wearing a mask. If they're not wearing a mask, they'll politely remind you. So they'll take your temperature, wear a mask. You have to log in and you need to use a little bit of hand sanitizer. And then when you go into the store, you just make sure you social distance. No big deal. Just couple small modifications to our behavior and like my barber shop they move their chairs farther apart from each other we no longer can wait inside the barber shop we have to wait outside you know little things like this but every single business even the little barber shop i just log in when i go i just write my name and my phone number so if anybody has covid around the time that i was there they're going to call me and say make sure you're quarantine yourself Right. So they have contact tracing. They have temperature checks. They have the entire community in Thailand working together because rather than try to break each other down and show I'm smarter than you and I've got the best ideas and no, you got to listen to my ideas. They're the best ideas. Everybody just came together. The elders, the government talked and then they disseminated the information and then we all followed it because we felt like, all right, these people, we can trust them. They're doing a good job. They spent a week or two weeks trying to figure this out. And once they figured it out, we'll follow what they gave us. And because we all trusted each other, we all worked together as a community, we now have all been making good, wholesome decisions. We now have results. There's no COVID here in Thailand, right? 35, 40, 45 days, 50 days. There's no COVID in Thailand, right? And people aren't walking around fearful that they're gonna get COVID, right? And even the people who have died, right? The number of cases that we've had versus the numbers that have died are very, very few because they've come together and they've even figured out ways to treat COVID. For the people who did get it, they were able to figure out ways to treat it. So when a community works together, when we trust each other, when we don't try to break each other down, when we're not hostile to each other, when we don't have this sense of a self and we're just out for ourselves, when we're actually looking at the greater good for all of the entire community, and when we're practicing 
harmlessness. This is very key. When we're practicing harmlessness, then a community can come together, any group of people, and we can figure it out. It works. The Buddhist teachings work. Thanks a lot for that, David. We have no more comments at the moment. Okay. So I would just like to encourage all of you, as you're on this path to awakening the mind, and you're learning all these good, wholesome teachings about things like right view and right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, that is all really focused on your own individual development of the mind and training of the mind. I would like to also encourage you to take a wider look at this and understand what the Buddha is really doing is kind of equipping you with wisdom in order to make good, wise, personal choices in your personal life. And all those individual choices that you make, not just how you speak, not just your actions, not just your livelihood, but even choices like whether you use plastic or not, whether you use a straw or not, whether you eat all your food or not, whether you're doing one thing or another, your choices whether you're making good, wholesome choices or unwholesome choices, you're going to experience the results of that. So take a wider look at this. While we need to focus on our own mind and training the mind, making good, wholesome choices of meditation and practicing loving kindness and compassion and all these things, having loving kindness and compassion also involves choosing not to use plastic when you don't need it and hopefully not at all choosing to stay at home when you don't have to necessarily go outside and making these good wholesome choices that we don't impact the earth and the world because by making these good wholesome choices it helps us and it helps all the people around us this path to enlightenment awakens you to individual personal wise choices but remember the buddha didn't give us 100% of exactly what we should do in every moment. He didn't tell you, don't accept plastic, <laughs> take paper, or, you know, plastic didn't exist during his lifetime. But what he's raising your awareness to is that if we cause harm, harm is going to come back to us. If we make wholesome choices, wholesome things are going to come back to us. He's bringing your mind making it aware of this natural law of gamma that by practicing harmlessness working together as a community by doing things gradually by not causing harm by eliminating craving anger and ignorance by learning all these good wholesome teachings you can actually function in the world in a much better way by just slowing down don't react in situations, but slow down, give it some thought, and make good, wise, personal choices in all the situations that you find yourself in. If ever you feel like life is moving too fast and you don't know what decision to make, then the best decision you can make is don't make any decision at all. Right? Because if you don't make any decision at all, then you're not harming anything. You're not harming anyone. Just pull back. Don't make any decision at all. And just think it through until you come up with a good decision. 
And then once you've thought it through, then you can make some good, wise decisions. Okay? So our path to awakening involves a lot of good, wholesome, personal choices that, yes, are going to affect us, but are also going to affect the wider community as well. This is why I will typically say the very best thing that you could ever do for yourself, those close to you, and for all of humanity is to learn and practice the teachings of Gautama Buddha. Because if you focus on that for yourself, then by you cleaning up your life practice and making wiser and wiser decisions, you're going to be affecting those people close to you and that's going to affect the larger and larger, wider community in all of humanity. So thank you for joining. I look forward to seeing you guys on Wednesday. On Wednesday, we're actually going to spend some time having more discussion. It's not going to be our typical chanting that we usually do. I usually would teach chanting on Wednesday, but we actually have something kind of special planned and I'm not going to let you guys know what it is. And you guys aren't going to crave to know what it is. You're not going to have a longing or a strong eagerness to know what it is. But just know that we've got something special planned for Wednesday. So I look forward to seeing all of you guys on Wednesday at 9 o'clock Thai time. And until then, remember, keep learning, keep practicing, which involves the entire Eightfold Path right view all the way to right concentration so be sure to meditate be sure to practice loving kindness in all of your relationships around you be sure to practice compassion with everyone around you and be sure to make wiser and wiser choices in terms of how you use natural resources and all of the things that you're consuming on a daily basis so thank you so much for joining we'll see you next time Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.